Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm Sully and with me this evening I have Tobias. Tobias the Hedgehog, thank you very much. Oh god, don't Google that. <laughs> and then I <laughs> And then I also have Ryan. Ryan the Hedgehog, thank you very much. You couldn't have come up with another species. We'll, we'll include our hedgehogs in the uh, description of the episode. <laughs> I guess that makes me Dr. Sully. Uh, I have no experience in robotics, but, you know, I'm just going to go with that. Um, and if you can't guess, uh, we are going to be talking about the 1996 Sonic the Hedgehog OVA, uh, produced by Studio Piero and General Entertainment. Um, but before we get into that, and I feel like it's a short OVA, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of head-scratching in this episode, let's uh, kind of go through what we all have been up to lately in the age of coronavirus. So, Tobias, uh, what have you been reading, watching, consuming? So, uh, having a bit of a hard time <laughs> overcoming a lot of the, um, oh, what do you say, uh, social pressure or lack of social pressure, uh, you know, sitting alone in my apartment, only interacting with these voices on the internet, not being able to really go out and hang out with people or see people. It's taken a bit of a toll on me. But uh, luckily, uh, our father who art in heaven, Tetsuya Nomura, has released his remake of Final Fantasy VII, which is pretty much all I did this weekend. And it's great. It's a great game. I don't know if we want to really go into that here. We episode. could have an entire podcast on that alone, so we would like that's, definitely that's... <laughs> be more than half of this was discussing Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, so like, I don't know if we're going to do an episode on it later, like a follow-up to our Advent Children episode, but I really, really like that game. And there's enough of us playing it right now that we definitely could. Have you been watching anything to buy? My, my current like junk food show to watch while I eat dinner is I'm actually sitting down and watching Seinfeld for the first time, which I'm Hell sure Ryan will be glad yeah. to hear. <laughs> like, I've watched a couple episodes here and there. You know, I'm, I'm aware of Seinfeld, but I haven't really sat down just to watch it. And uh, I've I just hit season three, I think, just, like, finished the Chinese restaurant episode. Oh and I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's a, it's a good show. Season four is where it gets really good. And how about you, Ryan? What have you been uh, playing and watching other than Final Fantasy VII as we covered? Yeah, I've been playing that. I was playing Persona 5R before that happened, and we're doing Mm -hmm. an episode on uh, the Persona 5 anime coming up, actually. But, um, yeah, that's been... uh, That's basically been consuming my life, and work has been consuming me. I worked this weekend, um, and because of the coronavirus, my sleep schedule is all sorts of messed up. So I am also currently trying to overcome that myself. It's yeah. uh, It's been a challenge, but uh, I recently finished a rewatch of one of my favorite animes, Danny Phantom. Danny Phantom? It's an old Nickelodeon show. Um, it, it's actually a really good show, and it still holds up, and it got canceled way too soon. I, like, I firmly believe that. That was one of those shows that was a little, little after my time. Oh yeah, you definitely were way, way after or before Danny Phantom. Oh, that's right, because Tobias is ancient. Yeah, Tobias is Tobias was, grew up in the Stone Age. You, you kids and your, yeah. you kids and your spongy bobs, those <laughs> the pants that are square. But uh, I, I've seen a, you know art of that show. It looks a lot like uh, Kim Possible. Is there any sort of? link between those two is it like the same studio same nah the um the the guy who developed it also did um the fairly odd parents and he drew all mm. the characters himself okay right so there's no link between the two though yes they do kind of look similar and they have the same comic book feel yeah. but beyond that no there's no connection 
Okay. And as for me, I have really been getting into uh, Toei's Tokusatsu YouTube channel, where I've been watching every single uh, live-action uh, Magical Girl show that they have on there so far. And if you have not seen uh, Nimodine on their channel yet, go watch it, because it is bonkers. Like, imagine if, a, if like, a Monchichi, like, had a baby with Dumbo. That's what you would get. It's, like, like a big pink like Mothra Furby thing that flies around and harasses this suburban Japanese family with her two sidekicks who are horrifying. It's really, really campy and I love it. And then I've also been watching uh, Suki Suki Majo Sensei, which is uh, kind of a precursor to Sailor Moon. There's a few shows on there that actually have direct like links to what Sailor Moon would become, including... Uh, poitrine and things like that. So if you love Magical Girls, it's really worth watching some of the stuff they have on there. I know that's probably going to be overshadowed by like all of the Super Sentai things they have, but I've been watching that. Um, I'm almost finished with Serial Experiments Lane, which I've been uh, watching in preparation for another podcast I'm hoping we will be uh, that we will be doing soon. And then other than that, like, if we're all talking about, like, a weird non-anime thing we've been watching, I've been watching The Nanny a lot. Um, <laughs> the the cast had, like, a, a Zoom reunion where they all got together and did a, a table read of the, the pilot script. And I was like, you know, as a kid, I really loved watching The Nanny. So I've been uh, watching that a lot lately. And I, I'm being reminded of, like, how funny it was and also, like, how much it shaped young Sully. I feel like... Fran Fine as a character has an indelible print upon my psyche, and it like that explains a lot. There's a there's a lot of things my parents should have saw coming from. I was from just that. about to say like your week has been magical girls and Fran Drescher. That's like big Sully energy right there. <laughs> That's very big Sully energy. You just combine the two and make a uh, magical nanny show. Yeah. It's, a, it's been difficult for me, actually, like to watch anime lately because I've been mostly watching my shows on in the background while I work. Yeah. And I can't really read while I'm trying to also focus on my job. So if I was watching a show that isn't dubbed, which is like most of the shows that are on my list, um, then I can't really focus on it. And the only, the only thing that I'm watching dubbed right now is the uh, My Hero Academia dub, but that has been indefinitely delayed, so God knows mm. when I'll finish season four. Yeah, it's weird, because normally I'm the one that's, like, too busy to watch anime, and now I do nothing but watch anime and Magical Girl Tokusatsu shows. So, you know, maybe my time has come. Maybe I actually have time to finish, like, the, the huge laundry list of, of shows that I have uh, accumulated over the past two or three years. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured, and I've mostly been rewatching instead just because I don't really want to, like, watch this stuff when I'm not, like, fully focused on it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of hard to, like, z- like tune out and really focus on, like, some colorful, like, you know, happy-go-lucky anime, and it's like, oh, yeah, the world is being devastated, like, right outside my window. Uh, there's kind of a weird dissonance in... Uh, trying to both, like, distract yourself and also, like, be aware of what's going on in the world. So I definitely get that. I've started, I've, like, kind of stopped being overly aware of what's going on in the world because every time I watch the news, they're literally just saying more of the same, and it's all non-experts talking, so I'm like, I don't care what you have to say about this because you don't know what you're talking about. 
You know, if we have to, you know, have a segue into Sonic the Hedgehog, I don't think anything really does that any better than an unmitigated, inhumane disaster. And on that note, we will take a quick break and we will be back to talk about the 1996 Sonic the Hedgehog OVA. The Sonic the Hedgehog OVA, a.k.a. Sonic the Hedgehog the Movie, which it probably will not be referred to that anymore given that the actual Sonic movie just came out. (laughs) Um, So this was a two-episode OVA that was produced by Studio Piero, who has done things like Yurisei Yatsura, Osamatsu-kun, Creamy Mommy. They were an offshoot from animators who came off Tatsunoko Productions and General Entertainment, who were just a... Well, they did all sorts of weird stuff. They had their own video game system or something, but they really only handled a few anime, including this one. And it was released between January 26th of 1996 and February 4th, 1996. Uh, The first release was on rental-only VHS tapes distributed by Taki Corporation, which is now Odessa Entertainment. Um, And then both of them came out for retail sale a few months later in May. Um, It was not a failed series pilot, which you see a lot of people talking about on the internet. I think those are just, like, non-anime Sonic fans who don't get the idea of, like, an OVA. I guess that's the only way I could explain why people think that this was supposed to be a series. It was just a two-episode OVA. And uh, if you've seen things that say it came out in 99, the reason why is that ADV... um, They got the rights to it in 99 and released it right around the time of the North American release of Sonic Adventure. So that's why sometimes you see it also claiming to come out in 99, but it's very... I mean, even for 96, it looks very dated. Um, Yeah. So yeah, this this was kind of made in an attempt to make Sonic kind of more well-known in Japan. See... Um, there was this, like, Sonic Project idea, which was going to be, you know, in Japan, Sonic has always been kind of not that popular compared to how he kind of did in Europe and America, especially in Europe. Like, the Sega Genesis was much bigger than Nintendo's uh, products in Europe and in Australia. To this day, I have friends who are Australian, and they are very, like, into Sonic, and it was just kind of strange to find that out. Um, So because of that, Sega was like, look, we have to find new ways to kind of push Sonic into the Japanese consciousness. And a big part of that was Sonic Jam, which came out 
around the same time, which is the big compilation game with the first three and Knuckles and all the sort of production art and bios of the characters. It's like, we know, we have to reintroduce Sonic into Japan. And it kind of flopped because this was for the Sega Saturn and the only Sonic games apparently that came out on the Saturn were like a racing game. And, and Sonic Jam, which is the compilation game. So it kind of didn't go very far. Yeah, I mean, there really wasn't much. There was Sonic CD, obviously, which actually came out be- before Sonic 3, which is kind of odd, but it happened. Even though the, the Genesis and the 32X were both basically life support, or sorry, the CD and the 32X were basically life support for the Genesis. So it kind of makes sense. But the, the Saturn was announced at a tech conference... And I think it may have actually been E3. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, it was announced that it was coming out, like, really quickly because they wanted to get a jump on the competition. That was a terrible idea because the announcement of the date of it coming, like, tomorrow, essentially, was not news to the developers. So when the system launched, there were zero games ready for it on launch day. So it was, like, a $600, like, paperweight that you couldn't play any games on and it never really recovered from that like it just it stayed an absolute disaster the entire like its entire lifespan and even among retro game collectors today such as myself um if you want to have good saturn games they do exist but most of them are imports so you have to like import them from japan and like there's only a a small handful of ones that are available stateside that are actually worth your worth your money yeah, you mentioned uh, the $600 price tag there. It's important to remember that this was $600 in 1990s money. Oh, yeah, it, money. it was probably adjusted for inflation. It would have been a, over $1,000 for that console. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really difficult, I feel like, people our age to really think about since you, we might have only barely seen price tags for these games back in the day. But those cartridges were easily 70 $120, I think, for some of these games. I think Corona Trigger sold for something like $100 first release. And again, this is back in, like, you know, mid-90s money. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really wouldn't pay 100 bucks for a normal edition of a game now, much less adjusted for inflation for, what, 20 years ago? 30 years ago? Ouch. Yeah, it's... It's kind of astounding how much the prices have come down, and I don't know, like, why... They were so expensive that back then, or how I remotely convinced my parents to buy me these things. <laughs> I've always been under the impression that, you know, back in my head, they've always been 50 bucks. But it's, uh, you know, you go back and look at these advertisements, and they were definitely not only $50. Some of them were like 65 which even adjusted for inflation is like a lot of money. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, Saturn being a paperweight on release, but Sega always had a problem with supply chain over here. Yeah, the 32x was this big improvement, but it just flopped. You know, in the face of you know the Super Nintendo, the games continuously coming out for that. Uh, The Super or the N64 and the Sony PlayStation, and then the Saturn came out. To I, I honestly didn't know the Saturn was exist. You know, existed until a couple years after its release. Yeah, I don't think to this day. Well, no, I've I've seen Saturns in the wild now. You know, going to cons, but back in the day like i didn't have any friends that had a sega saturn i had not seen one for a long long time so uh it's it's always been a problem that sega's had here in america is their supply chain yeah it's it's really bizarre and like gaming historian has actually done a 
pretty in-depth video on like the 30 the 32x the cd and the saturn and just how like it's always been weird over here whenever sega releases a console yeah and i think to kind of to go back to your earlier point solely about sonic not being as much of an icon in japan as he has been in america sega had it was already had a name for itself for arcade games uh, over in japan you know the ufo machines but they didn't really have a foothold here and uh you know sonic as a character was kind of made to break into this market that nintendo had already captured here and you know that it, for that reason sonic as an icon is definitely more important in america but i can see why in japan where they already had a strong fan following for their games why he wouldn't necessarily be as important as we would we would consider him so would you say that like maybe trying to push sonic into the japan like market again i well i don't know if you could push something that was already there but do you think like an attempt to make him more well known to japanese gamers or the public would would have been a good idea to begin with uh, initially, he really wasn't so much aimed at Japan. They they wanted a Mario killer. They wanted they they developed Sonic from the ground up as being, you know, by the books. Like, what can we do to break into this market that Nintendo has? Yeah. And they were kind of a lot of ideas back and forth when they sort of designed this new this mascot character, and a lot of it was influenced by um, by America. And I think that's actually really interesting with Sonic's history. You know, you've got like Nintendo, you've had, you know, sure, Mario is a Italian plumber from Brooklyn, but those games are very Japanese in, in feel. It's just that we Americans have adopted a lot of the stylings from the Mario games, for instance. But Sonic was developed by Japanese developers who were living in America at the time, and there were a couple of, uh, like, Westerners, you know, Americans on the development side as well. So it is this weird marriage between the East and the West that has always been baked into Sonic's DNA from the very beginning. Something I think is really fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I think it did succeed because otherwise Sega would have flopped. They would not have probably been much further past the Genesis. Uh, they probably would have went back to just doing arcade games. You mean like they are now? Well, yeah, yeah. We talk about the Dreamcast being their last hurrah. But that was, you know, Sonic gave them the breath, I feel like, that last gasp to get them that far. It was just a number of, you know, missteps time and time again. So I think Sonic, as a mascot, succeeded, you know, completely, absolutely. Uh, and we have this, you know, this this character that, again, it's just kind of this weird mix of Japanese and American sensibilities that I don't think we would have seen really... You know, much else really in any other situation, to be fair. So when you see something like this this anime, this OVA, you know, Sonic has always got a lot of sort of Japanese aesthetic with its platforming and the background design and all of that stuff. Uh, even some of the story just feels kind of like a Japanese riff on, you know, things like uh, Star Wars, because the Death Egg is pretty much the Death Star, for instance. And Sonic does go basically Super Saiyan when he does Super Sonic, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. One thing I find I, I find very interesting when I was doing my research is this idea of Sonic not really having a a solid storyline. Like Mario, um, the you know he's a plumber, he's Italian. Whether or not he's from the real world or he's always been the Mushroom Kingdom is kind of the really only like ambiguous thing in terms of the deep Mario lore. 
which I know more about as a huge Nintendo fan. But with Sonic, it's like, you would think it's the simple story of mad scientists turning animals into robots. Uh, Sonic is out to save his animal friends. But then, like, doing the research, there was all these, like, conflicting storylines. Like, very complex. Well, not you know, anything, it wasn't Ulysses, but it was, like, these very complicated <laughs> storylines they were, you know, different branches of Sega were pushing onto this character, and the games themselves are kind of flat or very linear and basic, but then, like, like there's that video where the guy's talking about, like, Sonic is from Nebraska, but then he's a freedom fighter, but then, no, he's from, like, Christmas Island. It's like he has, like, 30 different origin stories, and I'm like, he's just a blue hedgehog who beats up a bald man. <laughs> like, why does he have, like, so many complicated, like, conflicting origins? And I guess it comes from that sort of, like, hodgepodge, whatever will work mentality. Um, because this this OVA is certainly kind of going with its own version of events, too, because there's, like, a floating series of islands, and I know that there's the floating island in Sonic 3, but it's, like, this sort of land of the sky thing, and then there's, like, a ruined New York City, so, like, I feel like, on the surface, Sonic has this very basic, again, you know, mad scientists versus animals sort of theme, but then, like, if you actually do, like, even a little bit of digging, you're like, whoa, what is going on? Why are there like thirty? Like, why is there the expanded Sonic universe going on? And I'm sure Tobias, you can talk more about that because you're sort of the resident Sega Sonic fan in yeah. Third Impact. I mean, I mean you I do a panel on it. I mean, I like I my first video game was Super Mario Brothers on the NES. Like most people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my age or whatnot. But like right up immediately after I got a Genesis and Sonic 2 and whereas most kids were like really into like comic book characters or you know like Power Rangers or whatever like Sonic was my jam as a kid that's typically that 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 age you know I watched uh or I played I played Sonic 2 I watched both of the cartoons that came out both the slapstick adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog I love that and, show uh, yeah and the and the one that is known as Sat AM by fans the more serious <laughs> sort of gritty uh, take Saturday morning cartoon Sonic X I, I didn't actually get around to Sonic X I was a little that was that was right when Adventure came out right kind of it was it was the plot is basically Adventure Adventure 2 like it brings mm. in Shadow and Rouge and all of the character, right. the the more modern characters that everybody loves. Yeah, at that point I was a little behind uh, everything because I I didn't get a I, didn't, I never owned a Dreamcast, but I didn't play the adventure games until the GameCube re-releases. So I was a little bit behind on my on my deep Sonic lore uh, <laughs> at that point. But I, I I've always really liked the first uh, three games or so. Sonic One's okay. Sonic Two is great. Sonic Three amazing. Knuckles added on to it. The yep. games are always live on in my heart as a uh, you know as very classic great games. And Sonic Mania now even. Yeah, yeah, Sonic Mania is so so good. But uh, you talk about this this weird divisive lore in these this series, and you're absolutely right that you had the executives in Japan they wanted tight control over this character. You had you know the people over here like Yuji Naka and crew that were developing the games in America wanted to do their own thing. You had uh, uh, Tom Kalinske, the CEO of Sega of America at the time, was really doing everything he could to make this game series work. So he had um, 
uh, people over here sort of write the Sonic Bible, like you mentioned, the, the origin story of Sonic being in Nebraska, about uh, Dr. Robotnik or Kintorbor, Robotnik backwards, like being his adopted dad. There's like a 30-something page Sonic Bible that is mostly being completely ignored. But not only do you have like the games, but then you've got the Archie comics, which uh, were really yeah, big at yeah. the day. Which, which sort of developed off the Sat AM uh, cartoon of the Freedom Fighters. You know, you had Tails and uh, Princess Sally and uh, Rotor and uh, was it Bunny Robot? Right, the half robot Bunny. Yeah, Bunny was a yeah was a character. Right, I I haven't thought about these characters in like twenty freaking years. I'm surprised I remember <laughs> that much. I can't I can't remember basic things for work, but I can remember the names of these freaking characters from this series i haven't watched in 20 years well yeah you remember that you remember the things that matter <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the important things so like you've got the storyline there you've got the games uh the the, the genesis games kind of had their own you know quote-unquote story it was more like you mentioned uh not really so much narrative as it was just sort of going between these levels sonic adventure changed things and then from on we've got it seems like every new game they add on a couple new friends a whole new storyline, there's a whole new enemy. Sonic Adventure is a weird thing in of itself. Adventure 2 is one of my favorites just because mm-hmm. that was one of my first GameCube games and I yeah. I played so much of that that I can do like insane tricks in that. I'm not a speedrunner of it, but I like yeah. I can do faster than most people. Yeah, the games after Adventure just started going like way off the rails and then we got 06 which just Ugh. <laughs> that was rough. like criticism of the Mario series is that it doesn't take as many sort of creative uh, risks it, like especially like in the GameCube and Wii eras it was very very kind of staying safe staying on the like straight and narrow in terms of like what a Mario game is and then I kind of look at Sonic as doing the exact opposite of that like oh, yeah. just oh, throwing yeah. everything at the wall and hoping something sticks um, I guess for me, I should go through my history with the with the blue blur. Um, so uh, my first video game was either the original NES Zelda or Mario 64. I can't remember which came full first, but my older cousin who lived next door to me, uh, he was a spoiled only child and got every video game system you could imagine, and then I got his hand-me-downs. Nice. Um, 
So uh, the first game I ever like, I I remember the first game that had a big impact on me was Mario sixty four, and I still count that as like one of my favorite games of all time, if not one of my favorite sort of like media experiences. Was the first time like I ever saw someone play that game, and I wanted to play it, and obviously my cousin wasn't going to let me, so I got his Sega Genesis as a hand me down system, and it came with Sonic two. Um, and when the video store, it was a mom-and-pop video store, went out of business near us, I got Sonic 3 and Spinball, like, when they were selling off all of their Genesis games, because they still had them. Um, so I was like, and this is like around when I was in kindergarten and first grade that I played these. Um, and then as I got older, I finally got to have my own Nintendo systems, and that's probably why I'm such like a Nintendo fanboy, is that was what I was allowed to have. So I'm not unaware of Sonic, but I never had a Saturn, I never had a Dreamcast. I think my cousin did, I remember him having Adventure. Um, I probably just watched him play it at one point. But when we got the GameCube, we did get Mega Collection, which is how I learned that there were the Archie comics. Um, and I know that they had like an issue of it on that system, and it was or on that game, and it was really weird. And then I remember having Adventure 2... Um, and liking Rouge just because she's basically just like Fujiko Mine, but a bat. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget Rouge's boob physics in Adventure 2 just because it was so laughable. Her dialogue is also so ridiculous. Like me oh, and that my entire friend, game is ridiculous, but I still it's love it. very ridiculous. And me and my friend, other Austin, not the Austin from this podcast, like we both love to go and don't forget my jewels to each other <laughs> because the like the dialogue is so campy and so ridiculous. And I I remember my brother got that game for I think his birthday, and we both he played the hero side, and I of course played the villain side. And I did watch the the slapsticky cartoon because it was like it came on like on Saturdays or something when I was a little kid and I like vaguely remember watching it I remember Robotnik had a big pointy head for some reason so most of my interaction with Sonic has been like secondhand or like vague remembrances from my early childhood and so when I meet people who are like very into Sonic I'm just like how could you get into something that like is so complicated like the games were fun but like I, the fandom is very strange and weird <laughs> to me, to, to put it very lightly. So I'm always like, you know, in another universe, there's a dark, dark path that, that any of that me or my siblings could have gone down. That should we have played Sega systems instead of the stuff we did? <laughs> there exists on probably some some realm of the internet Sonic fan animations that a friend and I did in like middle school. <laughs> oh, we gotta dig those up. I have to see these. I don't know. I don't know where they exist anymore, but we uploaded them on Newgrounds, and I don't even remember what the username he used was. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I say that like I'm. I feel lucky that I didn't get into Sonic, but like I have probably like somewhere on some abandoned web 1.0 website, I've probably had like some embarrassing Mario and Zelda pictures or stuff i wrote so god knows i really like glass houses yeah we like think about like video game fandom now like now it's all like streaming and you're watching your your favorite Fortnite celebrity you know whatever imitating that kind of stuff but like back in our day you these were all single player experiences for the most part there was no internet there was no massively multiplayer or anything you couldn't stream you know, I, you had told me years ago that you could make a career playing video games and people watch you like that. I would not have gone to school. <laughs> yeah, I would have just done that. We kept on playing more games. 
But, like, video game fandom is, is drastically different. And, uh, like you mentioned, I think with Sonic, it's just... You know, it's... We, we've talked a lot about furries on this podcast lately, but I think there's definitely a rise in, in that culture, and Sonic just happened to coincide at the same time of this, this particular type of fandom, which I think... Uh, you know, that sort of intermingled, the, the the declining quality of these games, or rather, maybe to be more charitable, you know, the changing nature of these games, the changing generation of these fans, just happened to co-mingle at the same time that people decided it was okay to be embarrassing on the internet, so... <laughs> well, it's because everybody realized, like, wait a minute, I can post this degenerate trash and nobody will know it was me? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's the same concept as cyberbullying. And there's been people that have talked about, like, okay, the Sonic, the base Sonic lore is simple. Like, the games are very simple. There's very little narrative. The adventure came along, and sure, there's a story. They added more to an adventure, too. But the base games are, are simple. But really, it's those Archie comics that, like, added... The, the guy, there was somebody who wrote a, a big thread on the guy that wrote the, the Knuckles series. Yes, the I think it was a Medium article. I read that, and I was just like, holy... What? And I think that kind of just <laughs> batshit crazy, like lore crafting. I've you know from a guy that wanted to be in control of this character that he didn't make, that he had no hand in making, that he wanted to you know like really control the way this character in the story was written. Really paved the way to a lot of a lot of fan memories. You know, I, I I remember liking those comics back in the day, you know, for what they were. Uh, since I didn't get into like Marvel or DC or anything like that, that kind of filled that niche for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a lot of that same, you know, epic story out of this, but when I go back and try to read them now or read that thread on the Knuckles comics, I realized I dodged a bullet by not really getting into the Sonic comics because they yeah. are really they weird. They became degenerate as well. I feel like Sonic honestly broke into the mainstream again when the boom of social media hit and the Sonic the Sonic Twitter became self-aware. Mm-hmm. And I just I thank whoever is responsible for that beautiful disaster. And I think a lot of that sort of comes out of this idea that there are tons of fans of these games. It's just that we became kind of embarrassed to admit it with that sort of rise of this the secondary culture that's absolutely true because there was a long time where i just i didn't really want to talk about i, I love sonic i still would go back and play two and three and knuckles every year or so just because i really enjoy these games i love the music i love the gameplay but you wouldn't really talk about it for a long time until sonic mania came out in 20 what was it 2016 2017 i think when it came out just a few i think time. 2017 yeah near when odyssey came out yeah, yeah. It was just this perfect encapsulation of everything that made the classic games so great. And it's for the first time in a long time that I felt, you know what? These are great games. I'm not going to try to hide behind. You know, there's a lot of like weird subcultures in this fandom. I'll admit that. But you know what? These classic games hold up for a reason. They are good games. And I will defend them to the death. And they do have a very charming aesthetic to them. That sort of, uh, mm-hmm. sort of geometric... Uh, sort of trippy 80s, 90s, like, hip vibe to them, which is kind of fun. And like you said, the music is great. And I really, like I I said, I played 2 and 3 as a kid, and I I loved them because they were, uh, you know, 
they were kind of like a different take on the the platforming stuff that I was used to with like Mario games. Yep. But then like by the time we got into like all the 3D stuff, like I I played uh, Adventure Two and I Heroes I think, and then I was just kind of like this isn't that fun and i didn't get into it any more than that and then yeah with the internet i just sort of understood that the games were bad even though i didn't play them i had no real basis for comparison and that sonic had like a bunch of weird strange fans and it became like a joke like one of my best friends and i like we're constantly like sending each other bad sonic fan art like the sanic or the i must go fast like the the weird (laughs) round one like that was the thing is we would just find people who would take the weird crayon sonic thing and they they would draw different little like cosplays on it and we would just send them to each other like for months like oh here's sonic as like sailor moon here's sonic Uh. as like shinji you know (laughs) i must get in the robot fast and that's really all i that like for the past 20 years of my life because i was like maybe five or six when i first playing was playing sonic it was mostly just like a meme like a weird internet meme more than a franchise or like a game series yeah it did become that for a while yeah, for me, I, I remember getting introduced to Sonic Two when I went over to my cousins in New York, and because of the uh, the famous intro, the Sega intro, I thought that the character was named Sega. So <laughs> my cousin got so mad at me because I kept referring to Sonic as Sega. If it makes you feel any better, when I was a kid, I didn't know what Robotnik's name was. I guess none of us know now. We can't make up our mind. Um, I just called him Machine Man. Uh, well, I read the instruction manual with every game that I ever got, so I knew all the names of the badniks. I knew that Sonic's favorite food was chili dogs. <laughs> Another useless fact that does not matter at all. Well, excuse you, I was three and I couldn't read yet. <laughs> oh, God, Ryan. I mean, you're still working on it too, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on it. There's a reason I watch dubs over subs, guys. <laughs> So we've done a lot of talking about Sonic as a franchise and all of our sort of, you know, different diverging paths with it. So I guess what we should do now is break into the actual OVA. Okay, so let's go over some staff for this thing, and I have to be honest with you, a lot of this is some people's only real credit. Um, the director, Kazunori Ikigami, the only other thing he's really known for is he directed one episode of the Initial D anime. Was it a good episode? I mean, I've never seen Initial D, so I can't really tell you. Well, I mean, it is a series about going fast. <laughs> you know, you know, some directors just have those those threads that connect everything in their oeuvre, and his <laughs> is things which go fast. <laughs> the script was handled by Masashi Kubota, who also, this is pretty much the only big thing he did, and yeah, I'm just going to tell you right now, this was kind of a... 
This feels almost like a fly-by-night operation animating this thing, because a lot of the people, like, they might have had smaller credits before this, but it's almost as though when they hit this OVA, everything stopped. <laughs> um, but the actual voice credits here are, there's a lot of noble people. Sonic is voiced by Masami Kikuchi. Uh, he also does Metal Sonic. Um, he is Monaka, uh, Monaka, Monaka, I've not seen Dragon Ball Super and I refuse to watch it. He is Monaka or Monica in Super. Um, he is Wing in Hunter Hunter and he is Yasuko Hino in Kimigori Orange Road. So he's done a lot of things of note. He's still working. And then Tails is uh, Hikaru Shina. And she most notably is Celestia in Danganronpa. And I've also never played Danganronpa. So is that like a, an important character? I have no idea. I haven't gotten around to it yet. It also could be the anime as well. Uh, yeah, I think it was the anime that she did that voice for. Them dang rompas. Yeah, those <laughs> dang rompas. She was also Mitsuka in Star Twinkle Pretty Cure, so maybe something Tori is familiar with. Um, and she's Mizuki Tachibana in Detective Conan. So she's done a, like, a little bit of voice work, but apparently she's more well known for being, like, a singer. She's actually released 16 albums, uh, from the start of her career until now. Like, I think the last one came out in 2013, according to the research I did, so... Uh, that's mostly what she's known for. Wow. Knuckles is Yasunori Matsumoto, who is uh, Akiyama in Initial D, so, you know, maybe he knew the director, you know? A little bit of nepotism there. Um, he is Jean Havoc in Full Metal Alchemist, and he was also Guri in Slayers, which I've also never seen. There's a lot of things <laughs> in here that I've heard of, but I have just chose not to watch i every time someone tells me to watch initial d i'm like i don't care about real cars why do you think i'm gonna care about animated ones so you said you haven't seen slayers i think you might enjoy slayers really like i i just sort of felt like it was something that i could probably like do without like i could go either mm -hmm. way so it's never mm -hmm. really been a high priority to watch um but like maybe i'll get i mean i have all this time now maybe i'll get around to it um <laughs> So Eggman, as he is called in the Japanese version, actually, I do care about this because uh, uh, Junpei Takeguchi is his voice actor here. And for me, he is most well known for being the voice of Dokoro Bay in Yatterman. Um, so I was really excited to see him in this. Um, he's also known as the Millennial Merle in The Gray Man, the Grand Elder in DBZ. Um, he's also done a lot of dub work, like dubbing English things into Japanese, where he is the dub voice of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy, uh, the Cesar Romero Joker in the 60s Batman show, and Grandpa Simpson. So, you know, he has done, like, a, the full range of American popular culture in Japan. It's, uh, it's important to remember that we think of dubbing over here as, you know, big Westerners dubbing over as Japanese animation. But uh, likewise, Japan has to do the same thing over there, and for more than just cartoons, since there's so many of our Hollywood movies and TV eventually gets over there as well. Yeah, I can't. The only thing I can watch like a redub of is like cartoons because it's too noticeable with live action. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that. The only the only thing that I can remember watching a redub of was a, a Godzilla movie. I think it was Godzilla 2000, and it was just so noticeable and even when i was like six i noticed it and i was like oh my god yeah those godzilla dubs are right like the 60s ones people make people make fun of those a lot but honestly they're not as bad compared to the ones that come out in like the 90s and the 2000s those are like nigh unwatchable to me yeah 
The only uh, Japanese redub that I will advocate for is the King of the Hill Japanese redub. <laughs> why is that? Like, why why does the King of the Hill dub in Japanese? There's just something like... funny about seeing, uh, you know, these people living in what was it like Arlen, Texas, speaking Japanese. Like it's sort you've stumbled through the looking glass. Yeah, it's just like I'm starting to like disassociate when I watch this. Like Bobby trying to, or rather, um, oh god, what's that guy? The Hank trying to. Uh, teach Bobby like not to smoke it's just happening in Japanese it's just something so surreal that can only be happening in my mind you know in me and Austin's Japanese class we learned how to say you shouldn't smoke but god help me if I could tell you how to say that right now (laughs) um the only other real person people of note in the Japanese version is um the guy playing the president yes Sonic reports to the president in this anime, is uh, Yuzuru Fujimoto, who is the narrator in uh, the original Gigantor and Ogon Ba, and he's uh, the dad in Doraemon, so he's he's been in, like, a lot of really old-school stuff. And then Old Man Owl is voiced by a guy named Chafudin, who is Harrison in Cowboy Bebop, uh, Inspector Juzo in Detective Conan, and he also was Zomom, Zomom, Zomom in Sonic Lost World. See, that's one of those. That's one of those new games that you should not touch about Sonic. Okay, I I don't really feel like I would ever play any game with a character named Zomom. <laughs> no, all of the all of the new like the new new Sonic games all involve like weird aliens, and I'm just like, how did we get here? I really want someone to put together, like, a comprehensive guide behind the, like, production decisions of the Sonic games now, because I just want to know... Like, oh, actually, JonTron made a good video about it, like, a number of years ago. It's called Sonic Team in a Nutshell, and it's basically them all doing a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> I mean, didn't they do, like, a, a series of games where Sonic was, like in fairy tales or something too uh it wasn't a series of games it was uh sonic and the black knight on the wii and that actually wasn't an awful game for what it was but it it was it wasn't a sonic game and then the english dub cast um so we have sonic as martin burke who he i'm gonna again kind of preface this that most of these people have really only done like a few roles for adv in the early 2000s and then after that they've gone on to do like behind the scenes work either in like various voice acting not just anime or in other production capacities for other things uh in terms of anime he's done um hiroshi and queen uh emeraldus and yoshida and getterobo um metal sonic has a different voice actor than sonic in the english version he is gary dehan who is just an adr director who i guess they gave him the one line that metal sonic has where he sounds a bit like mandark from dexter's laboratory a little bit Um, yeah yeah that's a good comparison actually um (laughs) tails is laney frazier who again just did a few things for adv knuckles is bill wise and then dr robotnik actually got like an actual noted character actor they got edwin neal who's most famous for being the hitchhiker in the original 1973 texas chainsaw massacre so I was kind of like, wow, someone I, I recognize outside of anime. Isn't um, he Lord Zed in Power Rangers? He is the, the suit actor, not the voice actor for okay. Lord Zed in Power okay. Rangers. He also owns the world's largest co- collection of movie posters and the original Leatherface apron. Um, wow. He also set a record for doing 26 different voices in the only completely unedited version of the entire Gachaman series. He was Berg Kotz. Interesting. So, hmm. 
Yeah, he, he's also done, like, a lot of video game voices. Like, he's still a, a jobbing voice actor. Um, I know he played Two-Face and Killer Croc in some DC online game. Yeah. Um, so, like, these are, you know, mostly jobbing actors with, you know... It's funny that in both the, the Japanese dub and the English dub, the, the two actors with the most kind of actual note are the people who played Dr. Eggman. Um, they were really trying to, I guess that was the medius role that they wanted to get. One thing I noticed with the English cast here is that they all had roles in Final Fantasy Unlimited, another sort of throwaway video game adaptation that is honestly probably left, you know, best left forgotten. Yeah. You mean like this until we decided to resurrect it from the ashes of history? See, I feel like we've talked about enough obscure stuff that people should expect this from us at this point, so... See, my whole reason for doing this is I had, like, a bootleg DVD of this as a kid. I don't know how I got it. Um, actually, Tobias found it because I found it when I was going through my closet at home, and I gave it to the thrift store I, I volunteer at, and Tobias was like, oh, look, I'm like, yeah, that's mine. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was like, oh, it all comes full circle. Um, but, yeah, it... it, it I just remember it, and I was like, oh, this is a campy thing we can talk about since the Sonic movie is coming out, and then we kept pushing it because we have more important things to do, so here we are, you know, killing an, af- uh, an evening <laughs> talking about it. And it's not, it's not bad, bad. Like, it's not like... It's handshakers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not that. Um, it's just sort of a, more of a historical curiosity in the history of anime and yeah. having done the Mario anime, which I will concede is not as good as I sometimes make it out to be. I thought it would be fair to do the Sonic OVA. You know, because... as much as I shit on the, uh, Oh, sorry. As much as I, uh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I can't bleep it out <laughs> <laughs> as much as I shit on the Mario anime. Uh, when we did the episode on that, in all honesty, I thought that that was better structured than this. Yeah, I, I I've watched the Mario anime a few times over the years. This I I rewatched and like again having vague memories of having the DVD. I don't know where I got probably online. I probably saw it online and bought it when I was younger. You know, because like a it was a, like a buck or something on eBay. Um, you can you find know. weird stuff on eBay back in the day. Yeah, there was all sorts of, like, just weird bootleg anime releases. I remember it had the cover art from Sonic Mega Collection, which is probably why I bought it, because I recognize that. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, to buy, she saw the DVD. Um, it was very, very obviously a bootleg, and it had, like, a weird uh, subtitle track on it, too. Like They called Eggman Machine King or something. Um, yeah, it was, like, early in my anime fandom when I had that. So I, I thought it would be a funny historical curiosity, but I, I do think it's a good way to kill an hour. Um, what, what were your guys' reactions to it? Uh, well, uh, I agree. It wasn't bad, but it was entirely forgettable. <laughs> if, you, if you're a Sonic fan and you just want to see something, and like you said, you have an hour to kill, you know, there are worse ways to spend an hour. For sure, it's a it's a fun little romp with these characters you might recognize. Uh, the little owl character is he's just, he's kind of a little fun comedy relief character, but uh, on the whole, it's pretty forgettable. Uh, the new robot designs are okay. I watched uh, the dub with the subtitles, so I could I could understand what was happening, 
and they called the big bad uh, the the sub called him uh, like Black Robot or Black Eggman, but I think the dub was like Mecha Robotnik. Yeah, right? yeah, something like Mecha Robotnik. The the the, uh, the sub and the dub do that a lot, where they go with Eggman and uh, Eggman Land, while the uh, dub goes with Robotnik and uh, was a uh, Robotropolis, I think. Yeah, something like that. Like the original, uh, like comic story name for these things, <clears throat> and uh, I think uh, Black Black Eggman, the metal whatever the hell it was, the robot Robotnik, that was okay. <laughs> it was kind of neat. Uh, some of the little bad new designs definitely feel reminiscent of a goofy 90s series. Um, occasionally there were a couple shots that definitely had an OVA budget. It looked a little nicer than TV thing. But then there were a lot of shots that looked kind of dirty and didn't really look good. And the story is just whatever. The new characters really don't really stand out <laughs> except for the little owl dude. And his little super rad 90s get-up that he wears, that one yeah. scene. The the girl in it, Sarah, they called her in the dub. I don't know if she had a different name in the sub. But, like, she basically just served to be, like, a little fan service. Like, she had no purpose other than for Eggman to just be pervy with her. Yeah, for some reason they thought it would be a good idea just to add a cat girl. Just, you know, you know no reason. Just throw it in. People will buy it. Yeah. Like... The entire the entire thing with like Metal Robotnik is like the the whole thing I was just like wait if it was actually Eggman the whole time why did he go through all this trouble of like sending them this direction only to like have them come back and I was just like everything about it was very confusing to me and yeah, I find it funny that when uh Eggman is explaining to them what's going on, because what happens is he goes and, like, holds the president in his office and is like, I'm going to get Sonic here and tell him what's going on, and he's like, oh yes, I was just minding my business in my weird city, and then Metal Robot <laughs> came out of nowhere and kicked me out. I'm like, wait, why is the guy kicking you out like a robot version of you? Like, yeah, that yeah. came out of nowhere. <laughs> like, why isn't it just like, you know, metal man or whatever why is he a copy of you why is that not blatantly obvious to all of these characters that this is just part of your plan like even more so than like i think a, a comedy cartoon should be yeah pretty much there there also is like sonic was an asshole the entire time like he was a complete asshole at the beginning he deliberately like puts a pa like a, a crab in the path of the bird man and just, like, lets it pinch him and then just starts laughing uncontrollably. And I'm like, why are you being an ass? Like, I mean, for hasn't no reason. Sonic always been a little prick? Like, I, he just he's always... Been like, <laughs> he's, been like a, he's been, like, a cool guy, but he's never been, like, deliberately, like, a jackass like that. <laughs> yeah, and, like... Yeah, Sonic, take that. Tails was like, somebody needs help, and he's like, you do it, I'm busy. And then there was, like, a two-minute shot of Tails, like, screaming while we just see Sonic, like, tanning on the beach. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? It, it was bizarre.
I guess we, we should explain the plot, because we're just sort of throwing out all these wild things. I can't things really and... explain the plot, so if one of you can, more power to you. I can give it a shot. Like, I yeah, can give it, like, a, it. a wild stab in the dark. So, Sonic lives on the beach in a crashed airplane for some reason. And one day, an elderly owl comes to him and says, The president wants you. And they go to the president's house, and the president lives in the sky. You know, like you do. And when they get there, Robotnik has held him captive. And he's like, Oh, Sonic, the reason I've kidnapped the president is because uh, I need you to go beat up this robot version of me that took over my city. Oh, and there's a big thing that'll blow up if you don't go in time. And Sonic's like, no, I don't want to go. You're you're bad. And everyone's like, well, the world's going to blow up, so you have to. And they go, and it's in New York City, but not. And then they go to the robot city, and they fight. And then there's Metal Sonic, and Metal Sonic had to get his DNA, or something like that. And um, He, then, like, co-opted his memories or something. Yeah, and Knuckles just sort of shows up at one point, and he's in a cowboy hat. Yeah, I, I did like the inclusion of Knuckles, and I didn't expect that, but I was I was still like, what is going on with this? So, Metal Sonic and Regular Sonic fight, and at some point, apparently, Metal Sonic forces the Owlman to wear Sonic's clothes. Um, I mean, that doesn't make any sense, but the greatest part of the movie is when he shows you up know, in the, the 90s you know, we, we talk about Sonic fans being weird, but you just describe this movie as them trying to get Sonic's DNA... And forcing another character to wear Sonic's clothes. I'm starting to realize just how kinky this, this this episode could be. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically, it ends with Sonic and Metal Sonic fighting in Antarctica. Or the North Pole. I don't know if they go to the North Pole or the South okay, Pole. Okay, I actually can't explain that part because it was weird enough to me that I had to look it up. Basically, the world is basically post-apocalyptic Earth. And the uh, Dark World, or whatever they called it, was the surface, and then Sky World was a bunch of floating continents above it, and they were all held together by that ice bridge. So if that ice bridge blew up for any reason, they would, like, shoot off into space and all die. So that was his evil plan, was to destroy Sky World. I liked it better when Zelda did something like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't, but... I mean, look, I will defend Skyward Sword to a point. And that point is usually, like, after a good 40 minutes into the game. <laughs> Ugh, I, didn't e- I couldn't even give it that much. So, yeah. So, Skyland is, you know, if the ice caps melt, if, you know, global warming is caused by Metal Sonic, then all the continents will be in space. Yeah. Um, that's the plot, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. To be and honest, it lost Sonic me related hijinks. Oh god, yeah. No, that's it, it took me two tries to get through this movie. I the first time I watched it, we, I was watching it on YouTube because that's the only place you can really find it. And I fell asleep and woke up like 2 hours later to a show called Street Sharks and I was very <laughs> confused. <laughs> It was oh, like you, you children. Yeah, I, I was very confused. It was like, when did Sonic have sharks? Because it was still full screen. And then I, I like x I like x out of it, and I'm like, oh, this is a different, a different show. show. 
You mean to tell me you y'all didn't watch uh, what was it the the, the Cowboys of Boo Mesa back in the day? The, the what? Um, <laughs> the, what? There were there were there was a show. They had a the bigger title. Hold on, Cowboys. There was a show of cowboys that were actual cows. They were like cow furries. It's called the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Oh my god! Yeah, I think it was made by the same people that did Street Sharks. Like that was that was an era, man. Uh, Tobias, are you okay? <laughs> like, do you uh, met me? I'm not. You actually know what this show is, then? Street Sharks, yeah, Street Sharks. Okay. You see, I don't, I don't watch that SpongeBob, but. Cowboys of Moo Mesa and Street Sharks? <laughs> Hell yeah. That's quality television. You know, I always like hated it when like my grandparents were like, why is the sponge living in the ocean? And I'm like, you know, it could have been worse. I could have had like anthropomorphic cow men, you know. <laughs> oh my god. This is entertainment back in the day. This is what you had to watch. Oh my god. This is <laughs> This podcast has been all over the place today. You know what? Austin's gonna have to make this a bonus. This is just like this is. I should have really. I should have gotten like like a very like a nice glass of like wine and sat down and and talked about Sonic's DNA. We all should have done shots before this episode. It would have made okay. it a lot funnier. <laughs> but yeah, like. <laughs> the movie was a mess. In all honesty, it's really not worth your time anymore unless you're like a history buff of like old anime or you like love Sonic so much and want to write fan fiction about the cat girl. I feel bad that like I'm shitting on this OVA after I watched a video from Steven, who is an anime critic I actually like, where he defended it and I'm like, I'll give it a shot then. Like, you know, I was gonna talk about it anyway and I watched it. I'm like, what is he seeing this? Yeah. There, there were two there were two things though that I did want to point out like one there was a clever joke when they were fighting a um, metal robotnik where he's like I'm well aware neither of you can swim and I'm like okay that's actually clever because in the games they just sink um right and then when, when they were fighting him and it started raining it gave me a headache because I was like this just became blurry like it wasn't mm-hmm. even like a rain effect it just became the entire screen was like blurred. So there's a scene where the the robot Robotnik like like turns around, opens his ass and starts spraying like goo yeah. at them. Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember that. That was, that was weird. <laughs> it's like why did it have to come out of his ass? Yeah, like well, like a, a goo gun is like a wet like people you know like I've seen like things where people shoot like a gun and like it makes someone stuck somewhere like I've seen that happen in anime before but why did it have to come out of his ass? <laughs> On the whole, I feel like um, like if we go by plot beat, you know, each individual plot beats it had a decent framework. It could have been a much more memorable, much better movie. Uh, I can definitely see where, were this to be a good series, that it might have been a, a full-length series. I can definitely see why people would think that. But it just, it, there's no real reason for these things, like you've said, there's no real reason for them to do the whole lead-up, only for everything to just come down to a showdown with uh, the Sonics. Uh, this is a, two, a, a two-part OVA series. So the first one ends with them defeating um, Mecha Robotnik, and uh, right, right when they're going into the city, and the second one is everything else. Yeah. So I could see where maybe with that division, why it would sort of make sense for them to have two distinct storylines, both fighting this big bad and then fighting 
you know, the other big bad, uh, you know, the, the, the twin character. But, yeah, on the whole, it feels like there's this, what could have been some great moments that just kind of were wasted uh, on the whole. I feel like they're trying to take a lot of this, the story from Sonic CD with Metal Sonic, and they just don't really tell it in a compelling way. Um, we've seen that sort of um, you know copy of Sonic sort of storyline repeated a couple times throughout the series, and it just seems like a kind of a lazy way to rehash that here. I was looking forward to them talking more about you know, the sort of different dimensions with the land of darkness, land of the sky, when they jump down into uh, post-apocalyptic New York City. I was thinking, oh, they could, they might have something interesting to say. It could actually link it to the real world, but it's just a generic, broken-down city that never gets brought up again. And... Well, it was supposed, it was heavily implied it was New York because you saw the Empire State Building, but that's about it. Okay. Yeah, um, it's the kind of stuff that I like. I could have, I would have liked to see more of them. Sort of explain and try to make it a little more, uh, maybe not gritty, but make it more bigger implications, I guess, rather than just a goofy cartoon. Since the, I mean, it's just a goofy cartoon, but in a sea of much better comedy series. Yeah. So the only thing it has going for it is that it's got the characters that you recognize, and. Uh, yeah, they're just kind of, they're very cliche, generic versions here, unfortunately. If you were to not have this be a Sonic movie, if you were just make this all, like, original, I feel like it would either be something so bad that it became, like, a meme, like, sort of a, a an infamous OVA, or that it would just have, like, fallen upon the ash heap of history, like so many other parts of the OVA boom, which is really kind of after coming in 96. Like, we're we're kind of past that, so Sega was probably putting some amount of money into it if they wanted it to be a part of their sort of, like, Japanese Sonic brand revitalization. Um, though I could see why it would not work. Um, yeah. yeah, it really feels just like a throwaway. I can't really... I, I, I'd want to maybe look more into the history, but I can't really see them pinning their hopes and dreams on this, of all things. Um, I'm honestly kind of wondering why it got made. Uh, I, I know that the OVA period was uh, a time of experimentation where these companies would throw money toward any animators to make whatever. And you get a bunch of really cool off-the-wall stuff, but then you get stuff that is just this. Yeah, that's how we got the Fire Emblem one as well. And yeah. a couple others. That Fire Emblem OVA is... Uh, I, I show uh, clips from the dub in my Nintendo panel, and they never fail to get a laugh. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like... It doesn't even have, like, Fire Emblem vibes, that one, but that's, like, a whole other discussion. I do want to do an episode of that one at some point as well. But um, Wasn't wasn't the Fatal Fury... Yeah, Fatal Fury had one as well, I think. And that, that, that was a really good one. I don't know if it was... Uh, I'm looking at now. Theatrical... Uh, this is a feature film, so it wasn't an OVA, but I remember that being well-received. People still talk about the Fatal Fury movie yeah, uh, quite a lot. I think probably the most well-known one is still the Mario one. Like, everybody seems to know about that one and has, like, seen at least parts of it. Yeah, and there were other ones. There were three fairy tale OVAs that were also released uh, with the release of Mario 3 in 88. I think they came out in 89, maybe a year later. Um, so, yeah... There are, there are a lot of video game OVAs, and uh, 
I wanted to do like a series of them, and that's why I had this one on the list for so long, uh, and the Fire Emblem one, just because the Fire Emblem one is, is really, really funny. Um, oh, yeah. But watching this one now, I just kind of am like, it's so... It, it's like Tobias said, there are some shots that you can tell there was an OVA budget, and then some where there's not. It feels like there was some effort put into it, but just not enough and not where it needed it. Like, it it has a, a, an aesthetic to it. It has a, a tone, kind of. I mean, it, it, it feels like they were trying to make something kind of good. Like, it, I, I, it felt like they're really so close to, like, reaching, like, the sun that is, like, the, the, the sonic aesthetic. They don't really quite hit it. And yeah. I don't know if it's just them trying to breathe their own creative vision into the series, but as someone that's, that's you know seen the Sonic aesthetic and seen these characters for most of my life, it just doesn't quite hit the right notes for me. Yeah, we should we should probably wrap on final thoughts on it and get into questions though, because like we're kind of going in circles. Like <laughs> yeah. none of us really liked it. That's fair. Um, I think it had some. It had some moments that were decent that were okay they definitely showed the oba budget but yeah on the whole it's uh it's really difficult to recommend this other than a diversion for existing fans the fact that i had to try twice to watch this is kind of telling because if normally if i'm engaged in something i'll be like fully locked in and this literally put me to sleep So now the discussion of the uh, movie is over, uh, we got some questions from listeners. Uh, we have our normal list from Basil. Uh, dear God, we have a list from Basil. Uh, first one, how many chili dogs can you consume before you can eat no more? Is that, like, no more ever, or, like, chili <laughs> dogs before you're full? Because the answer either way is seven. You think you could eat seven? Yeah, I could eat seven. See, I could eat none because I do not like chili, and I also don't like hot dogs, so I would just not even bother. Well, Sully, I guess you can't go fast. <laughs> I think I'm okay with that. I I actually drive under the speed a little bit more often than not, so I think I'm good. <laughs> that actually leads into our next question, which is how fast do you go when you go fast? So Sully doesn't go fast, apparently. I, I go assault, like, I, if I'm driving and there's no one else on the road, I will, like, slow down and just enter my own thoughts, and I'll end up going, like, 35 in a 60 zone, so, um, I'm actually a terrible driver, so that's what's been uncovered by this podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't do that, that's actually dangerous for you, but, uh, there was one time I was driving to school, and I 
just made a note that everybody else was seemed to be going really slow today, and I looked out on my speedometer and somehow I was going 130. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was going that fast. Was the really sad thing. Uh, as for myself, I have never fasted a day in my life, and I've never planned to. Fair enough. I like Chili Dog too much. Yeah. Uh, next question, actually, that kind of, you kind of answered the next question as well. Does Chili Dogs help you go fast? Quite the opposite. Yeah, quite the opposite. It makes me feel like I never <laughs> want to move again. Um, why does Knuckles wear a hat? I actually didn't hate the hat on him. I thought it was fine. Like, it was unnecessary, but it wasn't, like awful like if he was wearing a sombrero i would have had questions but it was just like a discreet cowboy hat it's, it's very weird like they they're it's played up as being him being a treasure hunter yeah and it seems like they're kind of tying him in with knack the weasel uh, another sort of semi-obscure sonic character uh in one of the game gear games i think <laughs> triple trouble that had a kind of similar hat I yeah 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 this copying mac he actually appears in uh sonic mania as well yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. He's a boss. Well, kind right. of, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's one of the characters I was aware of, but I think they're kind of trying to invoke Knack vibes there, but... Yeah. They don't really go into... They don't really try to explain it, really. Just, he has one, and then he doesn't. Okay, so next question is, how does this compare to the Mario anime? We kind of already touched on that. The Animal Crossing one, I, I don't know if you two have watched the Animal Crossing movie, but it's, like, really good. I haven't seen it, but I have put it in my Nintendo panel, so I probably ought to watch it at some point. You probably should if you're going to talk about it. There's also a Final Fantasy V one, which I have not seen and am interested to know that now. And Street Fighter. Have either of you seen the Street Fighter movie? Because I have not. I have not either. No, I, I watched the Fatal Fury one way back when the Sci-Fi Channel was doing uh, like summer anime marathons, and I was like 12 when i watched that and had never heard of fatal fury before okay so i enjoyed it for what it was i i've heard of the animal crossing one but i figured it was just going to be kind of generic like this uh so it's actually decent no the animal crossing one is actually really well done like it was made a lot later and you could tell the quality is like significantly higher the uh, Final Fantasy V one, I think that's called like Legend of the Crystal or something. Yeah, probably. Uh, I remember uh, way back when I first started doing these these anime uh, conferences, if you will. Uh, a friend of mine had randomly got one of the like tape number two or three of the Final Fantasy series, and we never watched it. <laughs> that's okay. The, the only way that I know that it exists. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big Final Fantasy fan, so now that I know that exists, I'll probably actually check that out. Does Knuckles get scrapped, or does Tails ever get caught? This is a uh, this is a goofy reference to the the opening, or the the, the box art um, catchphrase is like uh, "scrape your knuckles, catch some tails." Oh, like they're trying to they're trying to invoke the characters, but it's just a really cheesy, gotcha. <laughs> it's a really bad okay. catchphrase. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad catchphrase. Would adding grunge rock to the soundtrack help or hurt this anime? It would definitely make it more interesting. Yeah, I would. I would love to hear "City Escape" or uh, God, what's the opening live to uh, Yeah, "Live and Learn" or whatever the opening to Sonic Adventure One was. Open your heart. Yeah, open your heart. Yeah, yes, this terrible butt rock. Yeah, by give me, Crush give 40. me Crush Forty. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe one day they'll do like one of those like concert screenings of this movie, and like they'll have like a live Crush Forty <laughs> accompaniment to it. Well, Crush Forty is actually going to too many games this year. You know, theoretically, assuming oh. too many games actually happens, and I plan on yeah. seeing them, so I might just ask them like, "Hey, would you like consider doing a dub of this movie where it's nothing but your music over this train wreck?" Nothing but rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need anything else. We make fun of Crush Forty and their stuff. Like it's 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 very extra. Yeah. But you got to admit that they gave the Adventures games like a soundscape that is like no other. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I have the Crush Forty soundtracks on my phone, and I listen to them in the car. I unironically <laughs> enjoy the hell out of them. I mean, we make fun of it. Like Cityscape is a jam. Oh yeah, Cityscape's great. I remember that when I was younger and my we had the the Sonic Adventure Two game. My brother was like really into the City Escape song and like would sing it. Um, oh yeah! Really oh, yeah. wish I would have like recorded that and held it as blackmail, but <laughs> I don't think that even would be blackmail. If you had, if you did that to me, I'd be like, "Yeah, what of it? Release it. I'm good." Um. <laughs> well, we know what Ryan's first single will be. <laughs> <laughs> were you ever involved in the console wars, and which side were you on? Yeah, we touched on this already. I was a Nintendo kid. I don't think it was like a war thing for me. Like again, I played the Genesis as like a a hand-me-down system, but I was always much more into Nintendo. I don't think I ever had like a like a like a side, but I've always just had a very close affinity to Nintendo products. I've usually told people like the way Austin is into Disney is the way I'm into Nintendo. Like it's the sort (laughs) of like arbiter of childhood magic for me. So. Um, yeah. That sounds really pathetic when I say it out loud. Um, yeah, it's fine. So yeah, I, I guess I fall on that side. Yeah, I didn't really get into the console wars until like uh, Sony and uh, Xbox came into the mix, and I was still a Nintendo yeah. kid because that's always what I grew up with. Yeah, I didn't care too much, you know, Nintendo versus Sega. But then uh, my parents got me a subscription to Nintendo Power. So I definitely started reading more into Nintendo than Sega games at that point. And it really wasn't until Sony came into the mix that I really cared for one side or the other. And uh, just over time, like, I, I care less and less about oh, this yeah. concept of this war. It yeah, really matters what console I want to afford and the games that I can afford and want to play. Yeah, pretty much it comes down to I'll buy a console if it has like enough games that I want to play on it. Alright, so next up we have two questions from Will. Uh, what's everyone's favorite Sonic game? Mine is easily Adventure 2. I guess for me, Sonic 2, just because it's the first one I remember playing and it was like the first game that was like my own game. Um, but I don't think I had like a really like tight attachment to any of the Sonic games where I could be like, this is my definitive all-time favorite. It's more like this is the one that kind of activates my nostalgia centers the most. Fair enough. Three and Knuckles, hands down. One of, one of my top ten games of all times, for sure. I really wish they would re-release that one on phones, because I have all the ones that they released on um, Android, but because of the whole Michael Jackson thing, it's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like Mania a lot, um, but Mania is itself kind of a fan service game. Oh, yeah. And I feel like some of the bosses are a little gimmicky. Like I like them, but... They... I loved Mania, but... I do not agree with the notion that it was a perfect game because there were some bosses that made me want to tear my hair out. Yeah, and some of the new levels I don't love. I don't hate, but I don't love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Sonic 3 and Knuckles, to me, is a perfect game. There's, I mean, there's not only are there two different games, 
you know, the three and then the Knuckles. But then you've got both Sonic and Tails' path as well as Knuckles' path that also change some of the stages around. Um, if you guys get a chance, there's a ROM hack called Sonic 3 Complete. Yeah. That is, the, that is the perfect compilation. There's a bunch of options for you to go through and play around with what combo of the game you want, what sort of combination of music and certain uh, mechanics. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, the, the perfect compilation of a perfect game. There are a good number of fan games for Sonic yeah. that are really good. I actually played uh, SRB2 recently, which okay. is a 3D Sonic game with 2D sprites, and it's it's phenomenal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so I suggest you check that one out. All right, so next up we have what is everyone's favorite Sonic song, and why is it Ice Cap Zone? I'm fond of the Chemical Plant Zone theme just because... Uh, I sometimes use like a video game music playlist while I'm studying or working on something, and there's a lot of really good remixes of that one that I like. Um, and again, I guess because I played a lot of Sonic 2 as a kid, that's the one that like sticks out in my memory the most. I don't think I ever got pa- past like level three of the water stage when I was younger. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was terrible at Sonic 2 when I was younger. I could never get past Chemical Plant. So for me, I guess, um, so Sonic music for me. In all honesty, the games have been trash for a while until, like, relatively recently. But the music has always been good. Like, Sonic 06 mm-hmm. is a terrible, terrible game. But uh, the theme for it is absolutely fantastic. Like, His World is a great song. So, I'd probably say for 2D games, my favorite is the Emerald Hill Zone versus theme. Because I remember oh, playing okay. that, Yeah, I remember playing that <laughs> with my neighbor, and it was very, very upbeat and catchy. And yeah. I'd probably say Rooftop Run from Sonic Unleashed for um, the 3D games because it's just such a it's such a great little tune. So I can't go with Ice Cap or Chemical Plant Zone because those are the songs for casuals. Excuse me. Those are the songs that everyone knows. and They're great. Like Don't get me wrong. I love both those songs. But I'm, I'm going to go with some, some more deeper cuts. Um, I really like Mystic Cave Zone is one that Ooh, I've Mystic come around to in recent. Oh, yeah. Mystic Cave is a lot, really, really fun. one. Yeah. Circus-y well, Mystic Cave is like uh, is like more like yeah, <laughs> yeah, love that. It's just got this just really bang. It's just a banging song all the way through. Like um, from Sonic Two, that's a good one. Um, let's see what else from Sonic Two. Hmm. I, I really enjoyed a couple remixes of Sky Chase Zone as well. Sky it's Chase uh, is more of sort of a, like a laid back, more of a chill sort of song. How, how does that one uh, go? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to save that one for the album. Uh, Tobias' Sonic Sonic 2 uh, acoustic and acapella album will be coming yeah, out later this go. month. <laughs> Man, I could do all these songs. I'm not going to do that. That's going to be the Patreon bonus. Yeah. Tobias sings the hits. From Sonic... So that's Sonic 2. Sonic 3, let's see... Uh, Flying Battery Zone is pretty amazing. I love Flying that. Uh, Lava Reef Zone. Holy shit, Lava Reef Zone. That's uh, one that doesn't get enough play. Uh, what's the la- la- Launch Base Zone? Launch Base Zone is well known. Hmm, I think I like Launch Base Zone 2 more for that. Uh, Knuckles had a bunch of good ones. See, Flying Battery was from that. I forget. Yeah. Not from the first game. I actually got to make an yeah. addendum to my statement that every single Knuckles theme song from Adventure 2 is just 
absolutely incredible and quotable. Sorry, I'm mixing up some of these. Uh, Casino Night Zone is pretty good from Sonic 2 as well. Yeah. For Mania, I really like Studio- Studiopolis Zone. Yeah. They did a really good job with that one since they were pushing that uh, a lot. Studiopolis is pretty good. The remixes they did in Mania were pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all they're all really, really good. Oh, how can I forget? Hydrocity Zone. I Dude, love that song yes. so, so much. I Hydrocity totally forgot Zone. about that one until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I, that, that's one of my favorites. I can't believe I forgot it. Hydrocity Zone is amazing. That is, that is my ice cap zone, uh, I think, in all fairness. And uh, also from Mania, Mirage Saloon. I like Mirage Saloon a lot, too. Mirage Saloon is really good. Son- Sonic music, though, is what I use to prove to people that, like, you have no excuse anymore to have a bad soundtrack in your video game. Like, if you have a bad, bad soundtrack, then you literally have no hope for your game because even Sonic games, as bad as they are, <laughs> have good soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, the, the OSTs are certainly a high point for all of these games, hands down. There's Absolutely. something about this, this, like, old, almost, like, gaudy, just, like, 90s sound fonts. Like, they just feel like you're listening to like paul abdul or something it's just god michael yeah. jackson just it yeah feel, it feels very much of that time and i love the fact that they've aged very well yeah i don't think you can actually get a version of sonic 3 anymore that has the michael jackson stuff though so if you get it on like digitally on steam it doesn't have it so you have to have yeah. the original but uh next up we have two questions from bill one of them is, what is the proper name slash our preference on Dr. Robotnik versus Eggman? So his actual name is Robotnik, and Eggman is just kind of a nickname that Sonic gave him in one of the earlier games. And I prefer Eggman personally, because it's much easier to say. I mean, nostalgia for me wins out kind of. I like the name Robotnik, but this is kind of a, a, a peach toadstool situation. Let's, let's just go with the name that we decided on. Granted, I don't know anybody that calls her, calls her Princess Toadstool. I have a friend who, like, gets very irate whenever I refer to her as Princess Peach. Because he's like, I grew up with her as Princess Toadstool. Why is she a peach if she's in charge of mushrooms? I'm like, you know what's by Okay, he can, he can quiet down because he's just being loud to be loud. And then, for me, I mean, I've been calling them both. I don't really have a dog in this fight. Would you say you have a hedgehog in this fight? Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, so the last question. There's been many Sonic cartoons or anime over the years, Sonic Boom, Sonic X, etc., but there's only been a small handful of Mario animated works from Nintendo. Why do we think Sega is more willing to make Sonic stuff and Mar- and uh, Nintendo is not, besides money? So I think it's probably because Mario, the stuff they did was not very good, and Nintendo didn't want to front the money for it anymore and also if people want their fix of mario they're gonna buy a video game and nintendo doesn't really need to worry about that sonic uh sonic also kind of had more of a cartoony vibe to it from the get-go so i feel like they needed to make to milk a little bit more out of out of him and sonic x i remember liking it back in the day i have no idea if it still holds up to scrutiny i think i can answer this question with a little more depth um 
so Deke handled both the Mario cartoons and the, the Sonic cartoons, and the thing with Nintendo is Deke had to beg for the license to to the Mario characters. Normally, in in this time period, like... If you had a toy or a game or whatever, you would go to a cartoon company to make a cartoon to be an, an advertisement, basically. But it was the other way around. Like, Deke begged Nintendo, and they finally relented and allowed them to make the Super Show and the Mario 3 and Mario World cartoons. And, of course, it was constantly diminishing returns with those series. They weren't good. And Nintendo's always had these very weird philosophies about their, their media. Um... And particularly Mario, they're very protective of both Mario and Zelda. And while they're a little more willing to to let Mario experiment with other sort of media platforms, um, they, they still hold a really tight control over it. And I think it's just because they're very aware. Like, I don't think it's necessarily kind of an exaggeration to say Nintendo kind of has, like, this is kind of the Disney of video games, and that they have a very similar, like, we have this image, and these characters have this image, and we want to have as much control over that as possible. Which is why I think you see so much more experimentation and, like, interesting merchandise coming out of some of the earlier Mario games than you do now, when they got more kind of, like controlled over it, although we are seeing things now like the Mario Lego set and the new Mario movie they're working on. Yeah, um, the Lego set is actually kind of intriguing. Like, I'm not gonna get it because it's definitely a playset, not like a model set, but like it looks very in-depth. And I think with Sonic, just from the research I've done and from what I'm kind of hearing from you guys, like, I think Sega's always been kind of desperate. Like, not necessarily like, pathetic, but they've been really like, eager to push Sonic into the public consciousness, so I think they've not had the same sort of reticence uh, uh, around uh, doing, like, media mixes with their franchise than Nintendo has been. Um, And it's not that Nintendo doesn't explore things. Like, there is the Animal Crossing anime, there is the Fire Emblem OVA, for whatever that's worth. It's just that with, like, Mario and Zelda, they've always had this very tight grip. And I think they also realize that Mario's appeal is in his broadness. These characters are not very deep. Like, yeah, as there's much no as I... to Mario. I mean, as much as I stand Princess Peach, I have to admit she's not a very... <laughs> she's not a very well-rounded, nuanced character. Um, no. But I think that's kind of their charm and kind of their strength is how they kind of have been made to be these sort of... Like Miyamoto said, you can kind of plug them in anything. They can be racing carts, they could be playing tennis, they could be having an adventure. They kind of have this sort of, like, Popeye feel, because that's where Mario kind of comes from, is, you know, you can put Popeye and Blue and olive oil into any situation, and it can work. You can put Mario and Peach and Bowser in any situation, and it can kind of work. Um, and then you have Sonic and these very, you know, obtuse storylines they've tried to put on him. And again, it's kind of interesting how these two franchises that start out as rivals fall into very sharp relief with one another and their sort of methodologies and um, reasoning for how they position them in the public sphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting for sure. And I actually own the Zelda cartoon. I found it for like $3 (laughs) at FYE a couple months back. And I was like, for $3, I'll subject myself to this. I mean, everyone makes fun of the Zelda cartoon, but I defend it because, I mean, they were working with what they have, and it's campy, it's cute, it's kitschy. I've watched it, like, one or two times, and, you know, it's not 
my Zelda, but I, I view it as like, you know, a curiosity. It is better cutscenes and voice work than the CDI Zeldas, I'll say that. Yeah, and I, I there's a story I love where the guy who voiced Link and the, the lady who played Zelda in that cartoon, they've gotten by to a con, and they didn't really get much response because obviously this is, you know, way past the time when this cartoon was relevant, and they're in the, the hotel bar having a drink, and some guy just walks up to him them and says you know why'd you do it yeah <laughs> and i think about that story a lot <laughs> I, I do <laughs> um they're, they're very lovely people i would never be that rude they they were doing their jobs um so yeah that's that's what i think about the nintendo and sega animated canon if we're going to call it that i'm very curious to see how they handle yeah, that's, a that's mario a, film that's a phrase for it and I think uh, you kind of touched upon this you know, earlier when we talked about um, Nintendo had definitely had a better foothold into the console market. Uh, you know, the Super Mario Brothers and the NES Famicom had definitely penetrated this to a degree that they had more control over um, the, the market at the time, whereas Sega was sort of encroaching upon the space and not having an easy time of it. I feel like at least Sega of America probably had better leverage in negotiating uh, this character and this franchise better than Nintendo of America might have had, you know, over this this Jap- their, you know, their, their Japanese counterpart. So that maybe may explain why we got like this Archie. I mean, the Archie comics are a thing. They went for a long, long time, which is not something we can say really with with Mario. Like, sure, we had the Super Show, and that was, you know, its own sort of thing. But the Archie comic yeah. sort of lived on with a lot of people's minds, as this is what the Sonic story is. And there's just not really something similar to Mario, an you know, American franchise that would have such a great sway over what this franchise is to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Mario had comics, too, from Valiant, and they're very, um, very bland, very very inoffensive they're not really breaking any new territory um and i think that has again sonic's greatest weakness might also be one of his strengths is that that sega was willing to kind of take these sort of different terms i mean the way you've talked about before it's almost like the archie comics kind of could be their own separate thing from the games like the games yeah, art don't really have to be connected to the comics as tightly as I think Nintendo would want something with a with a Mario comic to be if they were to make it. I know that I think IDW someone pitched a Mario comic and there's like concept art and like a proof of concept and everything, and Nintendo just shut it down. They're like, no, we have zero interest in doing that. Um, I think I remember seeing something about that. Yeah, there there's the Super Mario Kun manga, which is getting a stateside there, release. There is a lot of Zelda manga as well. Zelda yeah. manga is still being released. Like yeah. I, I'm still reading Twilight Princess. Believe it or not, that's actually like five volumes, and like I think it's still going. Like yeah, they're, go- and, they're going hard on that for Zelda, and it, it works. Yeah, but even the pair who do that manga um, have, have given interviews, and they're like, you know, Nintendo is very strict about how they want this to go. Like, we have to have everything approved by them. Um, that makes sense, honestly, but still. Yeah. 
I was I was thinking more toward like uh, the like the original Japanese. Um... Yeah, the Super Mario Adventures one. There were some earlier because like Mario couldn't started around Mario World. And even before that, there's a few like offbeat Mario manga that appeared in like little gaming magazines. I know there's one where like him and Peach are going through Bowser's maze or something. Um, and there were a bunch of weird. Uh, they were like little mangas that were put in Zelda strategy guides. I have a, I don't have physical copies, but I have friends who've sent me scans of some of the Zelda mangas that come from there and like they're very experimental like there's one where Link is a girl the the artist just did Link as like a female um I don't know if they mistook him for a, a girl or if that was just they wanted to do that interpretation and again it's so experimental and then um as things get you know as both these these characters solidify themselves in the popular consciousness this is what Mario is this is how he looks this is how he acts and the, the companies have a more defined image themselves of how they want this character to appear in public, I think that's where we kind of leave that weird experimentation. Because, like, the early Zelda manga, like, Link has all sorts of different designs and personalities. Sometimes he's a crybaby, sometimes he's, you know, really brave, sometimes he's, like, this tough guy, sometimes he's, like, a, you know, anime pretty boy, sometimes Mario is... You know, like a old, like a stereotypical middle-aged man. Sometimes he acts like a you know little boy. It's all over the place, and I'm sure. I mean, obviously, the Sonic candidate, I guess, is the same way because now he's you know fighting Metal Sonic and the Polar Ice Caps. Yep. So we got one final question uh, from Ryan from Third Impact Anime and Midshelf Gaming. He asks, "Go to Google.com and search your name, the Hedgehog, and describe it for us. Paint a word picture." Of the first result. Uh-huh. Oh now, God. there's one thing I have to ask. I have to ask here. Safe search on or off? Yeah, I am I am searching with safe search off. <laughs> well, you're the dealer. Because this is the Sonic oh, no. fandom, so it's going to be a treat. So my first result is Ryan the Hedgehog with the tagline, The edgiest and emoist uh. in town. And it's basically a black hedgehog with blue accents wearing punk clothes and tons of piercings. And pretty much probably what you're imagining is relatively correct. So Tobias this hedgehog is this yellow hedgehog with spines that look like he's like looks like Rystar maybe? Like a star shaped he- He's got devil man wings for some reason. <laughs> and he's got what looks like tails, but they're tentacles. They're like, uh, you know, they're like Doc Ock tentacles. They've got claws at the end. Interesting. So it's the normal, the normal base hedgehog, wings and tentacles. Okay. Uh, why did I do this? Because because you did it for the podcast. <laughs> so I feel like mine is the most cursed. <laughs> um, the first I using quotation marks too. I, my search for Sully the Hedgehog gives me a picture. Of the original design of the the Sonic movie Sonic with Sully from Monsters Inc. face <laughs> photoshopped on top of it, and the and the caption therapist Sully the Hedgehog is real. He can't hurt you. <laughs> That's honestly probably the best out of all of these. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. The second image is someone's actual OC, and it's like a poorly drawn shadow, but his colors are reversed, and it just has Sully the Hedgehog did on tablet 52607. Oh my god. So, 
I don't like any of my options. <laughs> I like the first one. Sully the Hedgehog isn't real. He can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Alright, I think it's probably about time that we wrap on that de- just degenerate note. <laughs> we talked about this uh, this movie almost twice as long as the movie itself. Uh, Yeah. I mean, doesn't all great media make you really dig deep into it and doesn't always take more time than you initially thought? I mean, you have death of the author, man. (laughs) On that note, if you want to keep up with any of us, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Calvacun, that is C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N. Tobias, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter as well, at Reverend underscore Tobias. And Ryan, if people want to follow you, where can they do so? Well, first of all, they'd be making a mistake, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at MidshelfRyan. You can also find my YouTube channel, MidshelfGaming. All right, and with that, this has been one of the worst episodes of Third Impact Anime in recent memory. I, I don't know about that. I think this is probably one of our peaks. And, you know, if you're if you stuck with us through this, go check out, like, when we actually review something worthwhile um good night everybody stay safe